technology today plays such an important role in a brand's ability to interact and close the brand interaction gap. Smile Direct Club is a brand that understands this fundamentally. They're particularly forward-thinking in their approach to technology and new ways to elevate their customer experience. I wanted to learn more about their approach to selecting and implementing technology, and so I connected with Nathan Dawson, the Senior Director of IT for Global Customer Care Technologies at Smile Direct Club. Nathan has years of experience assessing, implementing, and iterating on software projects, and is just the person to talk to about the intersection of technology and customer experience and project program management. Let's dive into the conversation. Welcome to Now Brands Talk. This is a show for leaders who want to close the brand interaction gap and bridge that tricky divide between brands and the people who love them. Let's listen in. So with that, welcome, Nathan, to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Hey, glad to be here. Where are you dialing in from today? Uh, I'm actually in Greenville, South Carolina, oh. my home office. A home office, very nice. Not a state I've ever been to, but if I were to come to your state, what should I do? Uh, well, South Carolina is known for peaches, so always good to come out and try a peach. We've got some of the best in the country. Uh, we also got beautiful beaches, so... Come to the beach, enjoy that, enjoy the warm weather. Beaches and beaches. This sounds like a vacation that I can take. <laughs> yep, it's a great vacation for sure. Awesome. Okay, so with that, let's get started. As you know, Ruth and I are on a quest to find out why the brand interaction gap exists. And as a part of that, we're compiling a list of the worst brand interactions that our guests have had. So without naming any names, maybe tell us about a suboptimal brand interaction that you've had recently. Yeah, so unfortunately, I think, you know, we've all had suboptimal brand interactions uh, in our history. And, you know, one that really comes to mind for me is uh, a few years back, my family and I were flying out to Colorado. We were going on vacation, wanted to visit some family out there. And, you know, we've got halfway there, most of the way, probably only an hour and a half out of Denver. And the pilot came on and said, you know, hey, we've got a problem. The hydraulics are leaking. We're going to have to go back. Oh, my God. Uh, fly back to the East Coast and and uh, get this problem resolved. You know, we can't continue on. So we flew back two hours. And I don't think we all realized it was a very serious issue until we landed. And uh, they told us we had to do the brace position. There were fire trucks going down the runway. Your poor so kids. Apparently, it, yeah, apparently it was uh, a chance of catching fire. So the hotel... You know, the airline put us up in a hotel overnight. And the next day, we were going to fly back out and the uh, plane taxis out the runway. And one of the engines goes out right as we're about to take off. So they taxi us back <laughs> to the gate, kick everybody off the plane. And then they started beating on the engine with a hammer, which I'm sure there's a more technical explanation for what they were doing. Sure, of course, of course. That's what it looked like out <laughs> the window. And then they said, hey, we fixed it. Everybody can get back on and we're good to go. So we uh, finally made it to Denver a full day late. Uh, but I think the thing that you know really made it a bad brand interaction is it just really showed that maintenance and safety probably weren't the highest priority for the airline. And that really shows a lack of care for the customer in an area that should be critical for an airline, which is customer safety. So you think they would have landed us immediately at an airport near Denver and maybe just bust us on the rest of the way since we were you know two thirds of the way there. That's unbelievable. First of all, I'm a terrible flyer, so this is a pretty uh, horrifying story. But I also think it says something about, you know, if you're in the airline industry, you you see this happen way more often than the average um, passenger on a flight. 
And so this is something maybe you and I will hopefully only see once in our lifetimes, but a pilot has probably seen this multiple times a year. And maybe to them, it's, it's a fixing with a hammer issue. But for us, um, it's definitely a different experience. And I think the people who sometimes are responsible for curating an experience forget what it's like to actually have it as a customer or passenger. Yep, 100%. So with that, obviously Smile Direct Club has a very, very different approach to how you interact with your customers. I want to give you a moment to tell us a little bit more about Smile Direct Club and your role there. Yeah, sure. So Smile Direct Club is an oral care company. Uh, we've created the first MedTech platform for teeth straightening. And our mission, uh, which you'll hear us say quite often, is to democratize access to a smile. Each and every person loves to be making it affordable and convenient for everyone. So, so far, we've helped more than one and a half million people around the globe get a smile they love. And through our cutting edge telehealth technology and vertically integrated model, we're revolutionizing the oral care industry. So my role uh, is the Senior Director of Global Customer Care Technology, which is a, a very lengthy title. Uh, I provide support for a variety of technologies such as our CRM platform, chatbots, telephony systems, and many other uh, technologies that kind of help provide that day-to-day -day customer experience. Awesome. I love the mission of Smile Direct Club. As someone who had braces for much longer than I would have liked, I, I'm honestly jealous of people who have access to something like Smile Direct Club now. <laughs> yep, it's, it's definitely awesome. Nice to know that your job is literally to make people smile. So that's always a feel good. Okay, I want to talk a bit more about, you obviously have years of experience in technology assessment, implementation and management. And I think one thing that brands really struggle with when they select new technology is about driving adoption. So can you tell us a little bit more about when you introduce new software to your teams, what have, what have you found is the best way to drive adoption internally? Yeah, so a couple of things on this topic. You know, I think something key that we all run into uh, when we go to implement something is we don't have unlimited resources and we don't have unlimited people. So this is a, a problem that I think is common to every company. And so when you talk about training and change adoption, how we roll out new software, or even just updates to our existing software uh, to internal stakeholders is, you know, from a change management perspective, we don't have the staff to do live training for every uh, thing that we roll out. So instructor-led training is obviously great. Um, a lot of people learn really well that way. But you know, as a young innovative company, we're constantly iterating on our tech to try to figure out what's the, the best experience that we can give to our internal customers, to our stakeholders, so that we, you know, as we roll out these changes every couple of weeks in our agile sprints, what does that look like? So a big trend that I'm starting to see that really has helped drive and change adoption is looking at uh, more robust self-service options. So some of our team members, they learn best through that live instructor-led training, like I mentioned. Some people, that's that's their best way to learn. They do great with that. Maybe they even do really well with pre-recorded content. Myself, I don't learn very well that way. I found that out when I tried to get a master's degree remotely <laughs> uh, at one point. Watching video recordings of a class just doesn't do it for me. I, I need to be in person and, and see it and hear it directly. So a lot of folks like me struggle to learn effectively when we do that kind of stuff remotely. And so you know, there's also other distractions. People are emailing you, they're chatting you, they're slacking you, uh, they're trying to call you, <laughs> getting text messages, et cetera. It's a, uh, hard to focus. And so we really, are starting to see that on-demand self-service options for training really help address that. So, you know, most recently we've implemented one tool like this that walks team members through the changes that we've made in the system directly and shows them hands-on within the production environment the first time they touch that feature. So instead of trying to train somebody ahead of time, you train them at the point of use. When they get to that new feature functionality, 
you walk them through it, you, uh, you know, demonstrate to them exactly what to do and they can click next and it jumps around the screen, takes them various places and really gives them that detailed approach and understanding in context of how they're gonna use that uh, new training. So when you tell her your approach to change adoption to what the team members actually prefer, you get a lot better results, a lot better engagement. So like we have, we have a core value here we call better is better, which is one of my favorite values. I love and, that, uh, tell me more. Innovating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we always innovate and adopt new things to only provide the best experience for our team members, but also for our club members. So better is better is kind of the spirit of just constant iteration, right? Don't try to get it perfect. I think you've you know, probably heard the phrase perfect is the enemy of good. Yes. So, yeah, so we're big believers in that, you know, get something out there, iterate on it, improve it, get feedback from people. Don't just try and get the perfect product on day one. So I, I really like how you said better is better. I think another way I've heard this articulated is yeah. progress, not perfection. Yep. Per perfect is the enemy of good is, is the way we put it around here. Totally so agree really with you. Definitely like to, to just get some product out there, iterate on it uh, and, and create it, that better experience based on the feedback that you receive. I really like what you said about this new technology you've implemented to help people learn by doing in the product. And I think it makes sense. You know, it's one thing to show someone a video and say, hey, watch this 30 minute video and then go do it. There's something so powerful about learning how to use software in the moment that you're actually in it. And I, I mean, I feel like it's a no brainer. That's definitely going to drive people's learning. But I, it's interesting to me that you reflect on how you learn best and that it's in person because I honestly, the last time I learned something in person might've been in college. And when I reflect on what great learning experience I had recently, it was an online program through the Harvard Business School. Now, it wasn't that fancy, just very expensive, um, but it was great because it was all virtual. It was split up into chapters. There were these bite-sized videos that I could watch. And if I didn't understand something, I could watch it again. And I actually found that to be really powerful. So it's just, just driving home the, your point that people definitely learn differently and you have to appeal to those different ways of learning. Oh, for sure. I know it's pretty intimidating to raise your hand in front of a, a huge class and say, hey, professor, I'm completely lost. Can you explain it to me, the slow one and back? I've definitely been that person. I'm just absolutely shameless. Um, okay, let's dig a little bit more into um, offering people different ways of learning because obviously we don't all learn the same, um, but obviously there's this bigger investment up front because you can't just get away with one training session and send people on their way. Um, it sounds like you're coming up with several different ways to train people. So where do you see the ROI kick in? Yeah, I think what you'll see and, and what we found is really if we enable the best user experience for our internal stakeholders or customers, as I referred to them earlier, uh, that's really going to carry over to our external stakeholders as well. So like, if we make it easy for a team member to do their job on a day-to-day -day basis, that's going to create a great experience for our customers. And that's always a key focus for Smell Direct Club. We don't want technology to get in the way of a great customer experience. Oh, I love that. And I think so often technology gets implemented and it, it gets in the way and it makes it worse. I want to talk a little bit about that. Can you, um, from your experience, tell us how can technology get in the way of good customer experience? Yeah, so I've, I've actually, you know, was thinking of an example of this. And I think a, a great scenario that you run into every week, every couple of weeks, however often you go to the grocery store is self-checkout. So I think everybody's experienced that, right? You go to the grocery store, there's really long lines, but hey, they've got these eight stations that are, are managed by one staff person. 
uh, where you can go do the work for them and scan it yourself and, and help check it out. So there's a lot of cool technology they're using. They're using cameras, they're using scales, uh, they've got scanners and, and computers you can look things up on. But I mean, have you ever tried to like buy a lot of fruits and vegetables and maybe the sticker fell off of your, your cucumber and now it's not in the search list because it's an English cucumber versus the hothouse cucumber versus whatever, and you can't find it, so now you need intervention. Well, they come and help you, and now the scale didn't weigh it properly. It doesn't think that it's in the shopping bag uh, correctly, so now the light is flashing, and there's six other people waiting for help at the same time, and it's just not a great experience. So this is an area where they've used technology uh, to help themselves to have fewer staffing costs, but it doesn't actually add anything of value to the customer. All, all they've done is offload the work to us and make it more difficult for us to get out the door. So, you know, if you want to go to the extreme of fixing that problem with the checkout experience and staffing issues and long lines, I think Amazon's just walk out technology is a great example of that, of actually removing the friction of the checkout process with tech. Now that's not rolled out in many places. So I, you know, I don't have a store near me that has the just walk out technology and Amazon fresh. Um, but a lot of us have a Sam's Club. So Sam's Club does a great job of this with their mobile app. While you're shopping, you scan things with the camera on your phone, you scan the barcode, it adds them to your virtual cart. Uh, when you're done, you just pay with your saved credit or debit card, and then you walk out to the uh, receipt checking line and they scan the QR code and check your cart. So you've completely eliminated the self-checkout process and it helps you realize somehow you've spent $500 at Sam's Club again. That happens to me with my uh, my grocery shopping now. So it's it's interesting. I think even before the pandemic, I was doing virtual grocery shopping and grocery pickup through PC Express. So PC is the digital PC Express is the online grocery pickup of Loblaw, which is one of the largest grocery chains, uh. if not the largest grocery chain in Canada. And and while I think that the self checkout, like in theory, sounds good and for me is appealing because of the novelty of being able to check out my own groceries, I agree with you. Like I've tried to memorize what the codes are on all my favorite ingredients. I'm pretty sure cucumber is 3297. And if that's correct, I'll be really proud. But I talk about technology improving the experience. I, I would way rather order groceries online now, open my trunk and have someone deliver yep. them to me. It's lovely. Do they use too many plastic bags? Yes. Will I continue to use the service? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that takes it even better. Don't even go to the store, right? Right. So just have, have them deliver it to your house. So that's the, the next level we've seen. Very successful. I think a lot of us use that in the last couple of years. Absolutely. So it, it brings me to my next question about technology generally. So I, I think that before the pandemic, there was obviously some demand for people to be doing online shopping. Obviously, this completely blew up in the last couple of years, specifically for grocery. And so there was this unavoidable, like you could not deny the need for online grocery shopping. Um, but obviously not all the times that we buy software or implement software is so urgent. So how do you identify when software is necessary to solve a problem in the business? Yeah, so I, I think you wouldn't be surprised to hear me say prioritization, right? That's the key thing. Back to that idea that we don't have unlimited resources, we don't have unlimited staff. So, you know, a key topic in project and program management, even in technology implementation is what's the top priority thing? Like what's the best thing that we can work on that's gonna bring the most value to our company? So it's not that we don't wanna do all the things. I think we all love all the lovely ideas that folks come up with. We'd love to implement all of them, but we can't. That's just not the reality of, of how things work. So we have to really effectively choose things. And what we really look at uh, from our perspective 
is we really constantly look at build versus buy. Does it make sense that we build this with our internal technology teams or should we go try to buy some commercial off the shelf uh, platform, perhaps customize it a little bit? You know, what's the cost benefit analysis? Uh, what's gonna kind of tell us what the return on investment is? And then where are we gonna move the needle in terms of customer experience for our internal team members and our club members? So we kind of look at a variety of factors uh, that really help determine is this the right technology for us? Is this something that we want to implement for our company? Yeah, I love that there's a consideration for build versus buy. And if we buy it, can we still build a little bit and make it our own thing? And I also oh. like this balance of, is it good for the internal stakeholders? Because that will in part deliver value to the end user, but you also are considering the end user as you're considering the software. So if you've identified that you're going to buy a certain software now and implement it, what is the biggest piece of advice you have for someone else at this stage? You've selected software, you're about to go forward and implement it. What is like the cardinal rule, the one thing that you must do to make sure that your implementation is successful? So this may seem super simple, but make sure that you have all the right people involved early on, all the right stakeholders. So you'll often see, you know, you're off to the races, you found this great technology, you want to implement it, you get really far down the path, you're like, all right, we're almost at the finish line oh man, we really should have talked to marketing about this the entire time. <laughs> so, you know, nobody brought them in. All of a sudden that's a huge problem. And your timeline where you wanted to launch next month, well, now it's going to be another three or four months because you've got all these new stakeholders that have new feedback and new requirements that you didn't meet. So to me, I'd say the number one thing is stakeholder analysis at the very beginning. When you kick off a project, make sure you have all the right people at the table and, and that's the critical thing I think a lot of people overlook, even though it's super simple, right? We talked about it, we're like, that's, of course, that's a no brainer, but happens all the time. Is there a process that you go through? Like, how do you know that you have all the right people in the room? Well, that's a great question. I mean, you, you definitely can't have everybody. It's important also to not waste everybody's calendar time. I think we're all overburdened by meetings. Um, I think some of it just comes from experience. So when you've implemented similar technologies or similar projects, you've messed up in the past and you know, don't do that again. So that really helps us, you know, we kind of have common themes. So like on a telephony project, I know the kind of right people from our customer care that I need to involve. I know, you know, if I need to involve marketing, if I need to involve other technology teams that I'm working with cross-functionally. So a little bit of it just comes from experience. Um, I think err on the side of including more people than you need, and then you can always scale it back. But if you forget somebody and they have a key requirement and they're not there to speak to it, You've missed it. Yeah, that is a great recommendation. And, and I can say it's it's definitely a sensitive spot for me as someone in marketing. Um, because yeah, sometimes sometimes when we get excluded, it feels it I think it breaks trust. Not only does it affect your project, but you've also communicated to someone that you weren't thinking about them and you didn't think that they needed to be oh. informed or consulted. And so I find myself, if I'm about to sometimes it's as simple as hitting send on a Slack message. Before I hit send, who is this going to affect? Do I need to tell that person first? And it's just, there's a like, level of thoughtfulness that kind of has to happen. And at least to your point, you can ask someone, do they want to be involved and give them a chance to say yes or no. But at least you've involved them in deciding their own fate, if they're going to be inundated yep. with meetings about this project or not. Exactly. And then if you did that in writing later on, if they say they weren't involved, you say, hey, I reached out and asked. <laughs> Jackpot, Nathan. <laughs> I love that. That that was the, the closing chapter to that answer. Just document it all. So when someone says, oh, you didn't consult me, um, you have the receipts. I love that. I want to talk now about internal stakeholders as customers. 
I think I, I so often live in this customer experience world, but we've been talking about internal stakeholders as customers. And so I'm curious if you draw any parallels between your role and that of a director of customer experience. What do you think of the similarities? Yeah, you know, I, I think as far as my role versus a senior director of CX, they're, they're super similar. So technologies I'm responsible for actually span almost the entire end-to-end -end customer experience that we provide. So it's super critical that I'm actually thinking about customer experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And I truly do view my internal stakeholders as customers as well, as, as we referred to earlier. Uh, I use those terms really interchangeably because to me, if, if we've got happy internal customers, I'm gonna create happy external customers. And I know we referenced it, that this is kind of like tribal knowledge that you should do this, but there's actually been a lot of research done on this. Uh, you know, Glassdoor did a study around this in 2019 that showed a really strong correlation between a happier workforce and customer satisfaction scores that customers rated that company that had happy internal stakeholders, had happy internal customers, the team members. Um, but as far as like CX in general, as senior director of CX, uh, you know, customer experience because of all the technologies to support how critical it is day to day, uh, I focus on that a lot on how we create brand create great brand interactions on a daily basis. So I, I think what would surprise a lot of our customers uh, of Smile Direct Club is that on a daily basis, there's a lot of us that go read the forums, the Instagram posts, the Facebook groups, even the subreddit, uh, to hear firsthand from the best source of how we're doing on our brand interactions and where we fall short directly from our customers. Uh, we care deeply about addressing that. And if it doesn't go quite right, we want to fix it and we want to celebrate the success when it does. I love that you crawl the subreddit. That is amazing. Going to the product team now to see how we can automate brand interactions on Reddit. That is spectacular. Nathan, we like to wrap up these conversations with a quick lightning round. So I have a couple quick questions for you for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. What is something sure. that always puts you in a good mood? Uh, something that always puts me in a good mood, planning a fun trip. So, you know, I think it's, it's always fun to have something to look forward to. And I love to put those kind of project management skills uh, to work. So I love to map out all the details day by day. It probably drives my wife and children crazy that everything is so mapped out and <laughs> regimented, but uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And yet I'm sure you have the best vacation. So the next time I need some travel <laughs> advice, I'm gonna come to you. Good segue. Where would you like to travel to next? Well, I love to travel internationally. Uh, my wife and I do. We'd love to start taking the kids as they get a little older. But the last few years have been a bit rough for some reason uh, in that regard. So I think once things uh, start to open up a little more, we'd love to finally make it to Iceland. That was kind of nearing the top of our list of countries to visit before the pandemic hit. So we'd, we'd like to resurface that idea. Very nice. I haven't been, but I've heard really, really good things. And last lightning round question. Uh, what's a hobby of yours that you spend a lot of time on? Uh, well, we love to get out and hike. So here in Greenville, we're kind of in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. So we're really close to a lot of great views, a lot of great waterfalls uh, and great hikes that are, are great for uh, the whole family. So we love to get out on the weekends and do that. So as the weather gets warmer, that's where you'll find us. So nice. Yeah, I was going to ask, can you do that year round or is that really only three seasons? Uh, you can do it year round. We don't get a lot of snow here, but as you get to the higher elevations, uh, you definitely get a bit more snow. So it's something in the winter that it can be a little tricky if you're you know, a little icy on the rocks. It can be a little dangerous, especially, especially with small children that I have. Nice. Definitely maybe wait till the summer. 
And the last question I have for you, we started this conversation by me asking you about the most unfortunate brand interaction that you've had. I want to end on a high note and ask you about one of the best brand interactions that you've had recently. Yeah. So uh, one that comes to mind pretty quickly is Zappos. So Zappos has been around a long time. Uh, Amazon acquired them many years ago, but they've mostly left them alone. And my wife and I are actually fascinated with this company. We've had so many great brand interactions. When we were on vacation in Las Vegas one year, we went and did the tour of their headquarters, learned all about their culture and their corporate structure. Um, they don't have managers, by the way. It's called totally flat structure. Whoa. So it's it's very, very different how they operate um, and really interesting to just see. And this goes back to the idea of great team member experience creates great customer experience. So they treat their team members very well. And what happened in our situation, we ordered a bunch of uh, kids' shoes, obviously had to try them on. Some of them didn't fit. So we returned a bunch of them. We used the wrong label. We had like five or six different returns. We combined a few packages to save on a box, said, hey, we'll just throw several shoes in one box and slap one label on it, right? Efficiency. Okay. Efficiency, right. Well, obviously we didn't get our refund properly. Didn't notice for six months. Uh, noticed on a Friday night, 10 o'clock at night, like, you know, we were looking to buy something else. We never got a refund on those kids' shoes from six months ago. Called them up, got to a live person within seconds at 10 p.m. at night on a Friday night. Uh, they fixed the issue quickly, refunded the items. And then the next day, we got an apology email from them with a $25 gift card to use on our next purchase for a problem that we caused. So it's just it, really great how they focus on making sure that the customer is happy. Uh, there's not a lot of friction in that experience. And so we keep coming back, even though Zappos is not the cheapest place to get shoes. You could go to Amazon, who owns Zappos, and get the same shoes for less than what you would do with Zappos. But with Zappos, you're kind of paying a little bit more for the fact that you've got that one-year return policy. You've got that great customer experience that you know you're going to get time and time again if you have a problem. Yeah, it's the consistency. It's that you know that they're not going to let you down, and that's worth paying a premium for. Yep, every time. Nathan, I want to recap some takeaways from this conversation. There are so many that I can pull from. This was so juicy and I really have loved this conversation, uh, but I'm going to summarize maybe the three key takeaways that our listeners can put into action. Number one is that technology should be about enabling your teams to do the best job possible because that will ultimately translate into a great experience for your customers. Number two, don't let technology get in the way of a great customer experience. And finally, when you're implementing new software, make sure that you do stakeholder analysis at the beginning when you're kicking off to make sure you have all the right players at the table. Nathan, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn at Nathan Dawson. Perfect. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn as well as Perry Chakoff. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Now Brands Talk. Join us next week as Ruth chats with Lauren Steinberg, SVP of Lobla Digital, about their brand's journey into digital interaction. If you have any burning brand interaction questions or would like to give us feedback, please send an email to podcast at ada.support. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And if you'd like to hear more conversations about how to close the brand interaction gap, subscribe to Now Brands Talk wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You've been listening to Now Brands Talk, a podcast by Ada. Stay connected by subscribing to the show, leaving us a rating and comment, and emailing us your feedback and questions at podcast at ada.support. Your support and feedback ensure future episodes will address your interests with fresh discussion and insight about how brands talk. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time.